This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Marketing Matters on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. And we're back. This is Marketing Matters on SiriusXM's Business Radio 111. I'm Catherine Hayes. I'm the Executive Director of the Wharton Future of Advertising Program. And in case you're just joining us, it's not too late. We have a whole nother hour to talk about the topic of the evening, which is the use of neuroscience in marketing and advertising and how what the latest is in this technology and why businesses and marketers really need to start getting up to speed if they aren't already in what's going on. So that's what we're going to help you with. And so I'm very, very pleased to have here in the studio with me right now, uh, right here on Locust Walk, um, some new uh, additions to the Wharton family and the Penn family. First, Michael Platt, who's the director of the Wharton Neuroscience Initiative and the James S. Repeat University Professor of Marketing, Neuroscience, and Psychology. There's a mouthful. As well as uh, Elizabeth Zab Johnson. She's the Executive Director and Senior Fellow of the Wharton Neuroscience Initiative. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's great. Thanks. I'm glad you're here. Glad you're here. So, um, did I pronounce it right, James? If he's James Reapy, that's Reapy. right. Reapy. Okay. If it's a benefactor, we we, right. we need to make that's sure right. we, we pronounce he's that correctly. He's a terrific correctly. guy and oh, a good fantastic. friend of Penn. Yeah. Wonderful. So let's um, before we get into your background, why don't you mm-hmm. tell us? This is a new center here. It's a new initiative at the Wharton School. We're very excited. It's not just Wharton. It's at the university level as well. So tell us a little bit about the the genesis of it and uh, right, and right. How it got well, started. it's this is a very interesting development, and I think it sends a very clear signal to business schools and universities and and people in industry that neuroscience is here and the future mm-hmm. of business is in neuroscience. So we have I think we all appreciate uh, that there have been tremendous strides made in neuroscience over the last We've couple just been of talking decades about them and yeah. <clears throat> much of that most of that has been aimed at both a, an understanding of the basic science how do our brains work. Um, but and a really important goal is to translate that into solutions for people who have brains that don't work quite as they are designed to work. And so wow. there's neurodevelopmental, neuropsychiatric disorders, yeah. neurodegenerative disorders like Alzheimer's disease. And I think we all appreciate the value of neuroscientific innovations that can help to treat or even repair some of these disorders. Mm. We're now at a point however, where that same understanding, both the basic science and the emerging technologies right, that are being developed at a very rapid pace, can not only be deployed to help people in the clinic, right, but also potentially to help business, right. to help individuals reach their maximum potential, to help organizations meet their potential to create value for society. So, um, you know, in terms of the Wharton Neuroscience Initiative, this was uh, an idea that um, got pitched to me a few years ago. It wasn't (laughs) called the Wharton Neuroscience Initiative, but basically the idea was that um, Penn and Wharton were uh, looking to uh, recruit a senior faculty at the intersection of medicine and business. And um, that's a provocative idea. Yeah. Uh, it's not one that's um, you know happening all over the place. Right. And uh, I was at the time at Duke University where I was a professor of neurobiology and I was director of the Duke Institute for Brain Sciences. And uh, our mission there was 
to not only connect, and, and Zab worked with me there, and we can talk more about that, but our mission was to connect neuroscientists across the campus, but also to kind mm. of connect neuroscience to other disciplines. So it was an inherently interdisciplinary uh, uh, effort. And so this idea coming from Wharton and Penn was really intriguing because I really had never thought of that being done at such an institutional level. And I think, you know, I had always thought of Wharton as being fairly conservative. It's just school of finance, no, right? No, but, no. Uh, you know, I think yeah, especially with, right. you know, the new Wharton, uh, you know, when, when Dean Jeff Garrett came on board and really thinking uh, about the future and and what are the what are the areas that are going to be so important like innovation like social impact transformation transformational yeah. you know analytics etc neuroscience also was I think on the table and so um, you know out of that few initial conversations a couple of years later here we are you know we opened our doors not that long ago maybe what six months ago right. We started in September. I, I came to Penn in September. Mm -hmm. uh, Michael was uh, successful at recruiting me here from Duke. Nice, from Duke, where you worked together. For yes. how, how long did you work together at Duke? Well, we worked together there uh, within the Duke Institute for Brain Sciences for about four years. Mm -hmm. um, but we go back quite a long time. Uh, we were actually together at New York University when I was a graduate student, a starting graduate student, and Michael was changing disciplines and launching his next phase in neuroscience Fantastic. as a postdoctoral scholar. So that's that's another benefit for the university, mm. too. So right. bringing in a team that already knows how to work right. together. I know right. and working with Professor Jerry Wind, I know that's a very important <laughs> uh, important relationship. So so it's interesting that you talk about it the way, because, of course, we on this show, Marketing Matters, we're jumping right into how right. neuroscience right. is great for marketers and right. you can understand your consumers. But it's so wonderful to remember and to know. And I think it's one of the beautiful aspects of an academic institution and, and the leadership that's here to really be thinking of it as as, as as holistically as possible. And it sounds like the 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 essence of it is really grounded in as as you described it in in helping people. Right. Absolutely. Is understanding people, right. understanding how we tick, why we tick. And then using that information to ensure that we tick well. That's right. That's right. <laughs> from a medical perspective, um, and it sounds like would you say that that's translating into how you're thinking about it at the intersection of business and neuroscience? Absolutely. Because there's a lot of scary stuff here. Like, well, we don't want people, businesses to we don't want businesses right, to know more than we Pushing the buy button exactly, on in your brain, and yeah. you don't even know it, and you yeah, can't help it. Right. I mean, not that that's not already happening with with banner ads and other things. We need to talk to about your... <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, yes, absolutely. I think that. Um, if we think about, you know, in fact, one of the questions I first asked uh, Dean Garrett when uh, in our initial conversation, I said, what is the what is the purpose of the Wharton School of Business? And he said, well, really, it's about growing the economy and increasing participation in the economy. And the way we do that is we create value for companies, we create value for customers, and we create value for society. And so if we think about it that way, mm -hmm. um, knowing something more and more precise about how we tick, and in particular, I think how not only how we as a species, as human beings tick, but how each of us as an individual tick right. and how we tick, and how we tick together over time. and how we tick together sometimes, right. which right. Um, and so sometimes sure. we don't, um, that uh, how could that not impact the way that we both do business mm -hmm. and educate the next generation of leaders uh, in business? And that's a really important part of our mission, mm -hmm. uh, as we see it, is not only to create a community here to connect researchers and scholars uh, in Wharton to to medicine, to 
arts and sciences, engineering, you know, communications, communications etc. Right. But also to use that as a as a platform to educate, right, students who generation. are going to go out, and they may not go, all go out and practice, you know, brain to business uh, stuff, but being savvy consumers of that information, they may need to read reports from people that uh, are informed by neuroscience. You know, they are, they are really going to be at that cutting edge. And, I, and you know, we, we know from talking to students, uh, lots of students over the past uh, six months, yeah. that um, they there's know an it. interest. They yeah. know it. Yeah. yeah. They know they need to know it, too. I think they're seeing a, a huge boom, and you've probably talked about this in the previous sec- segments, but in, in wearable neurotech. Um, they're really game to try and get into the business early, right? And right. so they need to know how to tell hype from what's practical. They need to know right. enough. Uh, we're not trying to convert people at Wharton into neuroscientists. Oh, why not? <laughs> but we need them to be savvy I'm, I'm about first that. in line. <laughs> so just before we get into sort of the, the content of it, Zab, if you could tell us a little bit more about what the the um, institute encompasses the initiative encompasses the Wharton Neuroscience Initiative. What what's in there? Right. So I think we're trying to be quite broad, um, and I think that is already you know signaled in the name itself, Wharton Neuroscience Initiative, uh, because we don't want to define what the field should be. Mm. Um, we want to sort of be wide open to what. Uh, what the possible applications might be, what the particular relevance might be for neuroscience with business applications. Um, and that's because, you know, we're in an environment where things are rapidly changing. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, and who are Michael and I to prescribe exactly how all of these applications will be developed? We are certainly only experts in the areas that we are experts in. Right. Um, and uh, and yet the breadth, I think, is wider than that. But I think overall, right, there are these sort of main arms of what we're trying to do. And one of those is uh, is to really increase the, the level of research mm-hmm. uh, enterprise here across the university right. and that intersection with Wharton itself. So... Um, you know, there's a large neuroscience community at Penn, and uh, but but Warden has sort of seemed inaccessible, I think, for a lot of them, uh, and I think this is one way of so of, really forming those bridges across the disciplines and and literally introducing people and that's literally right. coming up with collaborative sorts of research. That's right, and realizing like. that you know that people people don't need to have some kind of um, accreditation. Uh, to to join us, to affiliate with us. They just have to have an interest in in what this might develop into and what the research potentials might be and the educational potentials might be. And is there a curriculum that you have? Is there, are you involved with... um, Evolving the curriculum as well? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we are part of an academic university landscape, so uh, you know it's part of our job to, to educate the next generation. And so we are devising uh, curriculum, um, and there will be probably more and more offerings. But there are also a tremendous number of, of courses that are already offered all mm-hmm. around campus. Um, and so we are also trying to sort of do an ollie ollie and free, just sort of, yeah, right, sort inventory. of collate all of those mm-hmm. together because students are sort of stumbling upon those one at a time. Sometimes they don't know that they're there. 
Um, and so we're trying to, you know, provide at least a little bit of curation so that they understand that those are courses that might be relevant Fantastic. Uh, if they're working, if they want to work towards that intersection. Right. But we have, we have also begun to develop courses. And so um, last year, one of our faculty, uh, Wes Hutchinson, developed mm-hmm. a consumer neuroscience course. This year, I developed and delivered a new Introduction to Brain Science for Business course, which is about as broad as you can imagine, a real kind of gateway to the field, at least as I see it. And um, that basically used business as a vehicle to teach some neuroscience to people who wouldn't normally be uh, learning neuroscience, and also a way to convey what I think uh, might be some of the emerging areas for applications. And so, you know, some of those I think are well known to, uh, in fact, we you, you all just discussed some of these mm-hmm. on air, but in the area of marketing, so can we use neuroscience tools to uh, test the effectiveness of advertisements in terms of engaging right. people and predicting sales, but there's so many other areas that are, I think, ripe for exploration. So if we broaden the domain of neuroscience beyond kind of uh, attention or decision-making itself in an economic sense, but begin to look more broadly at social neuroscience. I was just or about m- to ask you about stu- that. Yeah, and so yeah. there's, you know, or, or creativ- studies of creativity. So we're beginning to really start to unpack what some of these mechanisms are. And that means that we can begin to use that knowledge uh, in the classroom here and as, as a research tool. So we, we've spent a bit of time talking about um, neuroscience and marketing. In terms of the other areas, and maybe something that, that, that Wes is focused on as well, is uh, talk a little bit more about the social aspect of, of neuroscience. I think what we've been talking about in this show so far is kind of the one-to-one. It's how do people react to things? How are they... Mm. What, how are they emoting? How are they responding to stories? How, are, how is that happening? Um, and yet, so much of life is social, um, both in terms of me as a consumer, potentially, as well as I would think from a cultural perspective inside companies. A lot of what we talk about in the Wharton Future of Advertising program is the need to think differently because of all these changes, and yet we're wired in a certain way. Right. So, And that, that way that we are wired is we are wired to be social. So... If there's one thing about people, right, that is true is that we are incredibly sensitive to other individuals. Mm. Most people tend to seek other individuals out. We use them as sources of information about the world without, you know, without having to directly experience other things. We, I mean, this is just just part and parcel of what it means to be a person. Um, these are deeply writ into the way our brains are actually structured. Mm. Uh, and we know that um, we, we, you can tell how important this is because there are a number of different disorders in which that capacity or motivation to interact, to be social, to read cues is diminished or impaired, mm-hmm. and in, that can be quite devastating. So, um, so this is this is huge, I think, and um, yes. affects everything from advertising because we're, you know, we can't help but notice what other people are buying or the fact that. You know, a beautiful person or a high-status person is hawking a product. Um, you know that 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 grabs your attention and um, it has an and, effect. And yeah. there are really good kind of adaptive evolutionary reasons why that's true. Mm. And we we're kind of you know we can't help but um, be affected by those things. Similarly, just from watching another individual's experience, tasting something, trying mm. something, right? We learn I want what something she's about having. right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Nice reference there. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. 
that's <clears throat> that's a different aspect of being social. Yes, but, um, yes. But it is actually a very important one. It was kind of fun uh, in our in my class. Um, just kind of a, a, an aside, but or anecdote. But um, the final project was we had students. Uh, these were MBA students mm-hmm. and undergraduate students in teams. And they had to put together a uh, poster session where they were basically they were tasked with bringing a new uh, brain science application to business, and everything from a, you know to describe the opportunity, uh, what the challenges were, and how they're actually going to bring it to market. And about a third, a third out of the twenty some uh, posters were uh, were dating apps. So uh, <laughs> basically, using neuroscience social, to yes. to improve. Uh, the ability to connect with a potential partner. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. So now I know what's and occupying I was their to... <laughs> time outside of the classroom. And how many of those are in market now? Yeah. You know, I, I know uh, our Wharton students. Well, they're... they, you yeah. know, it's a good question because I thought probably uh, some of those were good. really good. Yeah. Re- I mean, I was kind of blown away by the the quality and the innovation and the creativity of what these students brought. And, I mean, that's what I was hoping for. Right. But I had no idea how good that they, they would, would be. <laughs> yeah, how much fun they would have with it. Yeah. That's, a, that is, yeah. that's a great sign that they really got yeah. it. So maybe, you know, it sounds like that particular exercise was for them to take one of the neuroscience technologies well, they could, and apply yeah. it. I mean, they could so choose a technology, was, but or I was they looking to ask a, which ones are uh, are you all looking at? What are some of the top five hot neuroscience? Well, these are evolving are all the time. Yeah. And I think that um, the way that we're approaching this is that there there's sort of a continuum of technologies that um, kind of go from really expensive, cumbersome. Mm. Uh, difficult to implement in a consumer setting, precise. like magnetic resonance imaging, <laughs> but they're really precise and they provide kind of the God's truth on yeah. what's going on in the brain. And at the other end, you have some wearable technology like, uh, you know, your uh, smartwatch right. that's giving you information about your heart rate. Um, cheap, lightweight, unobtrusive, you can take it anywhere, right? And it provides some information, mm. but it's not as precise. And so what we want to do here is to connect across those levels. So for certain questions, you need that right. deep biological validation. But then that allows you to, and we think probably through mathematical modeling, et cetera, uh, extrapolate to and generalize to you know, situations that are outside the lab where you can make other kinds of measurements from many of these evolving technologies. And those technologies, some of them are pretty, they're here, they're straightforward, like measuring heart rate, measuring, um, uh, you could measure uh, pulse oxygenation, you could measure respiration rate, you can measure pupil dilation, fluctuations, potentially you can measure brain waves. So with, and we with were talking a little bit about devices. facial recognition. Face, and facial recognition. Expression and analysis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, basically I think you choose the technology that's appropriate to the question that you are, um, mm. you know, that you're asking. Now, in terms of the student presentations, I mean, some of them got pretty. I, I think they're. I don't want to give away any secrets, nope. but um, but basically taking some of the things that we just talked about and kind of connecting them in ways that I never thought they to would a business do. application. To a business application. Kyle Nell, who was just on, was was really talking about that. That that's probably one of the most difficult things that they were able to do, a lot of testing in the innovation labs to sort of see what it was. But they didn't have the infrastructure to actually go do something with it that could then impact business outcomes. Um, And so figuring out those in ways that 
that are actionable and practicable. Sounds really well, and I think you know part of our goal here is to really um, we want to make sure that what we're saying and what we're selling uh, is true it's and validated. valid. And so yeah. that's you know part of the reason to connect with people who are kind of doing the deep. You know, mm -hmm. neurobiological research. That's really, really important. I mean, I do that in my own lab. I mean, I'm a practicing neuroscientist who runs a basic research operation, uh, and we have a clinical kind of direction that we go in. Um, but it's really, in, you know, that same approach informs what we can bring, I think, here to Wharton and to, you know, through Wharton's connections to uh, to business, right? Uh, right. We can potentially, and other academics. Yeah, and other academics. We can uh, innovate potentially in ways that would be difficult, right, for uh, a company, say, a company that doesn't have a connection like we do to right. all of the, you know, to people in the School of Engineering here who are, for example, in the nanotechnology uh, center here who are helping us to innovate in some of our wearable sensors to, you know, vastly increase the quality of the signals and uh, and the miniaturization of those things. So we've got all so of that So you're actually working with the here. engineering school of engineering right. to right. not just do sort of the research about what the signals tell us, but the technology, the That's tools right. to, right. to to do it and advancing those as well. Ooh, Absolutely, fun. and those yeah. you know the the spillovers will go in many directions. So right. that will improve diagnostic testing right. uh, in a way, for example, something we've been after for years, uh, much of the testing that's, you know, available, again, you have to come to an academic, uh, you know, research hospital to in have it done. To but what do you do for the person, you know, you, uh, a child who's, uh, you know, out in the middle of Pennsylvania, um, you know, in a rural community who doesn't have that kind of access? Well, they could travel or you could have some sort of you know, diagnostic yeah. Well, or even, you know, maybe, you know, camera-based on a smartphone that um, that could pick up and detect uh, something that is changing, something that's different about that uh, that individual and potentially help to make a diagnosis. And that same kind of technology and approach can, I think, be leveraged here, say, in an organization, in a company, to uh, perhaps, you know, identify teams that aren't going to work well together. Right, right. right? Various kinds of things. So, so let's talk a little bit more about your the research that you are doing yourselves and have done um, over time as as academics to kind of get into the weeds a little bit, if you will. And so, Zab, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the work that you've done in vision, in particular, and color. So, what are some interesting findings that even a layperson uh, who's just learning about neuroscience would be interested in, and and maybe even apply? Right. So, um, so I've been interested, obviously, in, in vision and color vision in particular. And, uh, and a couple of years ago, you know, sort of color hit the social media outlet with the dress phenomena. Oh, right. right. Um, and I think it was at that point, actually, that it... Which people were like, it was a, a visual image and some people saw it one color and some people saw it a different color. That's right. It was either blue and black or white and gold uh, in general. And different people saw it in different ways, and it was very stable. Uh, it didn't flip um, in in sort of perceptual space. And I think people had very emotional responses when they realized that that uh, what their friend saw was different from what they saw, even though it was the same thing. Even though it was the same thing. And I think that's one of the things that I have always known as a neuroscientist and as a color vision expert. Um, Although maybe the, the sort of reaction, their sort of emotional reaction of what you sort of have believed that, you know, your friends 
see as so the what same is the as answer to see. that one i don't know for those who only knew that it was a big issue so what's the what's the neuro neuroscientific Explanation. Well, the neuroscientific explanation is uh, is still being probed uh, wow. in, in a series, long series of papers that have, that are coming out where people are are trying to look at that. But probably has to do with priors and expectations of lighting, uh, and you know may actually come down to whether or not uh, people spend more time. Uh, you know, in natural lighting or or unnatural lighting, interesting things in shadow versus things uh, mm. being uh, being illuminated from the front, uh, and uh, but I think inherently what came out of that uh, dialogue was this idea that actually what we perceive is all in your head. Um, which as neuroscientists, we always, we always knew. Uh, and we also know that, you know, that the brain is really trying to figure out ambiguity and is trying to find solutions for what we see and what we perceive all the time. Uh, and that, you know, wow. we shouldn't actually expect that our friend sees what we see. Um, but yet, uh, uh, we do have that expectation. And so I think, yeah. right. So that's, so that's one area of, of work that I do is look, looking at things, you know, mechanistically, uh, how how those things are wired up, you know why what why impacts it, them. what impacts it, mm-hmm. how context matters, um, and uh, for color, you know it's not part of the physical reality. It's actually constructed by you know by what you are what do looking you mean? at. That's blue, right? So b- <laughs> blue will really shift if you put something else around the blue. Um, and so these are mm. things that, um, you know, that artists have known. I was just about to say artists and uh, creatives. They explore, you know, all of this. Matisse actually didn't like the way that pigments looked next to each other. So he left large swaths of white uh, around objects in order to reduce uh, the effects of color being subjective. Um, but anyway, that's that's one side of things. I've also moved uh, into the domain of eye tracking. Mm. Uh, so when I started to think about color and its applications and was moving towards, um, you know, thinking about things in, in the uh, aspects that they're most used, color was never very satisfying because uh, because there were lots of theories about why it developed, why uh, we see all these different colors, right. and and yet uh, we could never come up with a, a very viable uh, reason. So people threw out ideas about foraging, um, but you know one of the things that I think people had forgotten about was the sort of social context of color. Ah. Uh, now, of course, uh, there have been lots of scientists who have thought about that, but things like faces, how your color coloration of your faces um, are, you know, whether someone is Ah. blushing, whether someone is the readout of whether there are emotional contexts. And that got me into faces and thinking about navigating through the world and looking at each other uh, in a more natural environment. And also thinking about the way that we encounter one another uh, and the kinds of signals that we might be getting um, that we don't think about that much. And we certainly don't think about that being color. Well, we talked a a lot at the top of the program um, about 80% of of what goes on is the subconscious versus sort of the the conscious choice. And so uh, making decisions and that sort of thing. So we're we're making decisions all the time at the subconscious level, and so bringing them to the fore and ma- and br- making them explicit, uh, just in your describing that the the business applications are mind boggling, much less all the other applications to really sort of 
unpack what's behind that, what exists, what how, how people make those sorts of choices. That's right. And I mean, I think you can see the business applications. I mean, cosmetics is a huge industry. Um, and uh, and we spend a lot of time looking at whether or not we can make you know ourselves right. more attractive by adding more red right. to our cheeks right. and more contrast not, to our eyes. Not be blotchy. And, and so, not be blotchy. Right. Yes, all those things. Wonderful. Very interesting. So, Michael, how about you? What's uh, what's your current... What's cooking? I mean, yeah, my lab area is... Of I mean, it's, in... you know, it was really wonderful to come back to Penn. I actually did my PhD here, so, oh, it's, so nice. it's, it's, you know, it's being it's back home. home, and it's gave me a real, you know, a new opportunity to... Uh, in reinvent the lab to mm. uh, to innovate in ways that um, you know I hadn't really felt able to in a while, and so we we were working on a lot of things that are super interesting. A lot of it overlaps with what Sab was just talking about in terms of the social, so mm. interpersonal interactions and how we how what begins with what Zab talked about in terms of how we perceive each other. Uh, to uh, kind of higher order processes that uh, in which, you know, how do we understand another individual's experience? How does that information shape the way that we behave toward them, whether right. we are kind and giving to them or whether we are strategically deceptive? Um, so we are uh, really examining these questions at um, a very uh, deep level. Uh, we are um, so kind of working out the circuitry. Um, we are trying to understand how uh, we might kind of turn up the volume on some of those signals and turn down the volume right. on some others. So could you, through various kinds of nudges, uh, promote you know more pro-social behavior or less antisocial behavior? Make us nicer to each other? Uh, make us more attentive to each other. Or, you know, so better, better able to read social cues and better listeners. Oh, wow. This has a direct kind of clinical relevance mm -hmm. for disorders in which... Um, which of which there are a whole variety uh, in which individuals have impairments in any one or a number of these different right. uh, functions. And so here at Penn, we are we're really working on uh, testing new therapies so uh, for some of these disorders. So uh, therapies that could either uh, through medication or even better through non-invasive brain stimulation, uh, uh, potentially sort of make people better at reading social cues or more motivated to engage with other individuals. So these, you know, we don't know how some of these devices really work. That's why and, the research uh, happens. So you need right. to do the research in order to figure out how to do it right uh, and how to do it safely. Um, we, uh, I'm really excited about a collaboration we have with uh, with folks, with physicians at the Children's Hospital here, mm. where we're actually putting some of these into practice to uh, to really see whether we can benefit individuals who have wow. had neurological insults. Um, so that's a really exciting thing for me. Uh, another area that's really exciting in the lab is extending the work that we've been doing for 15 years in the area of research on decision-making under uncertainty and how we mm. choose to, how do you weigh the the trade-off between um, continuing to exploit something that you know very well and it's kind of a habit to stick with it versus to deviate, to diverge and explore, take that risk. That's really fundamental to uh, to human behavior, uh, but that that is really where the spark of innovation uh, comes right, from. Right. And so we are kind of simultaneously both trying to uh, uncover what the mechanisms are, and we're beginning, and others are, beginning to get a pretty good handle on that. But the next step will be 
trying to devise ways to uh, measure that mm-hmm. uh, outside of a person with un- you know unobtrusively right. you know using a wearable device or to uh, kind of stimulate that right. uh, circuitry if you were an individual who needed you know who f- you know their your job was to be innovative right um, so could we enhance Gosh. innovation or could we um, could we harness people's uh, innovative capacities that might fluctuate over various times or in response to context. So that's some of the stuff that we're really interested in. Um, and also, of course, as we discussed before, trying to innovate on the the device level mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So we kind of have an ideas lab within my lab in which we are working with people in engineering and other uh, other areas to to really try to, to, to increase the quality of the things that we can measure and uh, make it cheaper and more lightweight so Usable it can be deployed and, in right. you know in everyday right, life right interesting well we just have a, a little bit more time i'm gonna i'm feel the need to uh to raise the ethical question mm. we haven't talked about it yet t- today per se um and of course the more we know about what makes us tick uh in any capacity, whether it's as a business person or in a medical capacity or in a social capacity, uh, it could be an amazing boon. And um, it, it's like a double-edged sword of anything else. I think Carl Marcy had a, had a quote, something like, if you put a, a knife in a surgeon's hand, it's going to have, if you put a knife in somebody else's hand, it's going you know, so the right. same tool in different hands. So how are you thinking about that um, currently uh, well, at the industry? At the, and, yeah. and, and where's that going? Well, I mean, it is important, and we recognize that. And um, this, is an, you know, this is something that uh, is not... Uh, exclusive to uh, neuroscience in a business context. So, Good if you point. think about the um, the Presidential Brain Initiative, for example, which is a, a large uh, infusion of resources into a program to rapidly innovate uh, in neuroscience, uh, there's an explicit um, uh, call to have the ethical, legal, and social mm. implications addressed for any of these technologies. Because whether it's you know gene therapy for brains. Or uh, you know, getting a signal that says that you uh, you know you like iPhones. Um, you know, they, right. they, it's right. it's really kind of the same question. And so this has been part of our conversation. Uh, I certainly include that uh, topic in my class. And we are uh, right now actually, and Zab can talk a little bit more about this. Planning uh, a workshop. Uh, actually at that intersection of, of ethics, business, and neuroscience. I know we're going to collaborate, aren't we? We Zab? are. Yep. We've so, and I always tell the students that, I, I mean, a lot of the students that I've been talking to this past spring uh, say things to me like, you know, doesn't this have you know ethical implications? Sure. And I say, yes. I'm glad um, you asked. I, I'm glad that you yeah, brought that up. I'm glad because, you care, yeah. Uh, because if it didn't, it wouldn't be cutting-edge science. Um, ah. And uh, it's really important to realize that um, just because there are ethical implications, it doesn't mean that one shouldn't do it. Uh, one should just uh, be very careful about how you go about doing it, your, both yourself and realizing that you know that there are going to be repercussions out there, and that those should be debated and talked about as mm-hmm. a community and uh, and as as a as you know as great a community as we can, um, because those decisions are going to be difficult. And I think that the sort of areas that will need to be explored are rife uh, with issues on yeah. purpose, um, and it, and that part of the, you know part of the nature of 
developments in this area is is to really come up as a community with you know what is the right application. I know one of our uh, advertising twenty twenty crew. Uh, contributors, and I don't remember whether it was Carl Marcy or Thomas Ramsoy who we were talking about, said, you know, that that's one thing that they were looking at in terms of uh, the future, how to get ready for this future that we we know is on its way, and and frankly already here, and that is to make research a profession that has accreditation, that mm-hmm. has you know some more structures around it, like like the ethics and um, the kinds of um, rules around. Um, uh, medicine what's the difference what's the difference why wouldn't it have as much rigor around it so it'd be interesting to see especially as you're dealing with the intersection between them how that'll well come and to you pass. know here i mean we are we're really kind of blessed to be right. on the penn campus where we have some of the most outstanding people at in the you know in the world working on bioethics and you know our right. own president amy gutman chaired the president's bioethics committee on go. on you know neuroscience and genetics et cetera and so so we really have fantastic right. uh, talent and expertise here that um, we plan uh, certainly on um, you know on tapping so that so that we are well informed and then of course you know it's not for us as scientists or anyone else to tell society how to right. how to how to do its business and so we really need to to come together and decide as a as a community. Um, how we should use this, what, what is kind of off the table and what's on the table and how should we do it. Perfect. Perfect. Well, both of you, Zab and Michael, thank you so much for coming in for the show. It's great. Look forward to many more collaborations Absolutely. with you and maybe more radio shows on some other of your latest findings. That would be great. That would be fun. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. And for those who want to find out more about um, the uh, initiative, how do they go about that? Um, I would go to our website, great. which is at www.neuro. Wharton.upenn.edu. Or just search on or just, Wharton Neuroscience Or just Initiative. search for Wharton Neuroscience Initiative. Fantastic. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.